Okay, everybody, we got some cool news for you. Roblox's earnings are out and we're going to do a new segment today. We live in the future and we're going to let you know about a cool new startup that is uh, doing basically speeder bikes or spinners from Blade Runner. Very cool new technology in the VTOL space. Got some exciting video there too if you watch the YouTube channel. Uh, after that, Ryan Engel is with us. He is the CEO and founder of Golf Plus. You might remember a few weeks ago, I tweeted about Oculus uh, and the try, oh my, goodbye. <laughs> People just absolutely trying it, absolutely loving it, and then never using it again because it's too bulky and maybe it's just too intense for casual gamers, but hardcore gamers still prefer uh, PCs. Well, in that thread, Ryan had a really considered response, so we decided to have him on the show, and Golf Plus makes an amazing VR game uh, for Oculus called Pro Putt by Top Golf. So go check that out. And we talk about all the issues in AR versus VR, how much time people are actually going to want to spend in VR with these heavy clunky headsets when we're going to get the AR headsets that are just like putting on a pair of sunglasses, and what companies are developing the best headsets, maybe when Apple's headset will come out. It's a really deep dive into the VR versus AR debate and the entire metaverse space. And he is really credible because he's working in it every day. Really appreciated having him on the episode. So let's get to it. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Our Crowd helps you invest early in pre-IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing, you can join Our Crowd for free at ourcrowd.com slash twist. Silicon Valley Bank. For over 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has been providing banking and financial solutions for every stage of the startup journey. Learn more at svb.com slash twist. And Disruptive Advertising. Sign up for a free digital marketing audit at disruptiveadvertising.com slash twist. Plus, if you go into business with Disruptive, you'll receive a $250 gift card and a free Friday to Sunday ski trip in Utah. Okay, Roblox reported a huge quarter in Q3, doubling revenue year over year to 509 million dollars full disclosure my wife bought i don't know how much but she bought a bunch of roblox because she believed in it and uh i think she got in at the ipo which was like 45 or 50 bucks so uh i guess i have a bias here towards this stock not really but uh i'm happy for her that she made that bet she's got you know she made the bitcoin bet too at a hundred dollars so i give my wife a lot of credit um their uh, shares jumped 30% in after hours trading. It's now at 100 bucks a share. That's a $13 billion increase in their market cap. Crazy days right now, folks, $57 billion market cap. Big takeaways, um, Roblox users are insanely engaged. Some back of the envelope math here, because it's kind of hard to understand. But based on our analysis, the number of hours people are engaged in this platform is bonkers. They had 11.2 billion hours up 28% year over year. Now, 11.2 billion hours in a 90 day quarter, right? Uh, and you divide that by 47 million daily active users, you get an average of 236 hours per user in Q3. Again, 90 days. If people use the service, for 60 days, that would be four hours a day. If they did it every single day, it would be 2.6 hours a day. 
that's a lot of time on a platform. Um, I, I am stunned by that. But in some ways not. I mean, if you look at people who are addicted to Twitter, they're on there for more than an hour or two a day. So I'm not sure if you know, this back of the envelope math works out. But uh, you know, in terms of there's developers on the platform and, and people building stuff. If you don't know, uh, Roblox is a video game platform where developers can create games inside of the app. They went public via a direct listing on March 10th. They sell an in-game currency called uh, Robux, uh, which allows people to buy games and outfits, you know, all that kind of stuff that people are talking about now with NFTs being, um, you know, so special that you could actually take your character's abilities or outfits and move them from one game to another. That isn't happening yet, but that is the promise of this new metaverse if you think about the metaverse not as a vr or ar headset just as a 3d world uh, that would be represented on a 2d monitor they also have something called roblox premium which is a monthly subscription and uh, creators and developers on roblox can earn money and they earned 130 million in q3 which was a 52 percent year over year roblox takes 30 percent, just like apple uh and so this is pretty uh, staggering uh, in terms of the earnings for these games and these platforms. Revenue of five hundred nine million—that's a—that's a lot of money when you think about it. Um, and these have to be incredibly, incredibly high-margin businesses. Total bookings, uh, which includes some deferred revenue, is six hundred thirty-seven million. What that means when you hear deferred revenue, somebody might buy the year in advance, so they might have more cash come in in a quarter, and then they will do something called. Uh, accrual based accounting where you spread those payments out and, and you get to get credit for them each month or quarter, uh, depending on um, how you have set it up. They lost 74 million. Uh, that's up 55% year over year. I'm not sure what the total cost is here for this business. They have 1400 employees. And that's up 66% year over year. Revenue per employee for Q3 was about 355 K. So I guess they have a they have a lot of employees to run this business. You got to think they could run this business with half as many employees and it would be printing money. They're obviously in investment mode. 80% of their employees are either engineering or product focused according to Roblox. If you look at their DAOs, 47 million, uh that's up 31% year over year, just a, just a hair above 47 million. Their average booking per daily active users is $13.49, that's down year over year. In other words, if you have, um, you know, 500 million uh, in revenue in the quarter, and you have almost 50 million folks, just over $10 per user per quarter, which means per year, we're talking about, you know, close to uh, 50 bucks a year, pretty amazing when you think about it, that is some serious revenue. And that's year after year, these folks are going to stick around. So I am much more uh, bullish on Roblox. When we compared it, I uh, thought it was more of a hit-based business. But this developer ecosystem is obviously starting to thrive. And when you see revenue double like that, uh, clearly I underestimated the impact of those network effects. I know Fortnite has over 100 million people using it every month. So there does seem to be this ability to hit 100 million people using a platform a quarter. So this could definitely double. All right, and looking at the Wikipedia, there is a page, you can look it up yourself, a uh, list of most played video games by player count. Uh, player Unknowns Battleground and Crossfire, two free to play games, both owned by Tencent have over a billion users. Dungeon Fighter 700 million uh, users as of May 2020. I'm just looking down this list, Minecraft 600 million. 
users as of November 2020. That's pretty amazing. Pac-Man Doodle. I've never heard of this. Uh, but Pac-Man Doodle from Google, I guess. Uh, 500 million peak daily players in May of 2020. Candy Crush Saga hit 500 million players. So clearly, you know, you can get to hundreds of millions. So if we look at Roblox here, they had 202 million peak monthly uh, players, according to Wikipedia on April 2021, the number we gave you before 47 million is their daily active users. Obviously, you get a much bigger number by the people who don't play every day. I wonder if that means they could double that triple it. I mean, it's possible, I guess, the upper limit here seems to be a billion. So if we gave them credit for hitting in between those two numbers 200 and a billion, uh, that would be plus 400 million, maybe they get to 600 million monthly, which means they could triple uh, their revenue. So it does seem like they're on the trajectory to to do something similar to that and get to Minecraft's number, which is 600 million. That to me would seem to be uh, a pretty amazing run. And that means the stock uh, would be triple or the revenue would triple. And that, that seems plausible to me. I don't know where the natural audience limit is, or if they would have to, you know, get more people into uh, video games for this to to go beyond that there seems to be a natural audience for these and um, another thing to consider in all of this is there could be other business model innovations that occur that generate more revenue obviously they're selling in-game items they also have a premium subscription and if they embraced nfts uh, or a marketplace where people could trade their goods that could give them a little bit of lift and i wonder if roblox users when they grow up if there's going to be other games that they would want to play. I know a lot of Roblox players came from the Minecraft ecosystem. And then once you move from one to the other, I'm not sure if you go backwards. That'd be an interesting question. Uh, if we if somebody could find the data on that. But uh, congratulations to the Roblox team. It's time for another R crowd deal of the week. Right now you can join R crowds investment in Intellact. According to the deal memo Intellact's transportation innovation could save the airline industry $3 billion a year. Intellact uses machine learning to improve safety, recognize hazards, and reduce delays. And they're already being used at some major international airports. And these airports serve over 100 million passengers annually, according to the deal memo. We know that all over the world of tech, companies are innovating and driving returns for investors, while our crowd's team analyzes many of these companies across the entire global private market. Then they select companies with the greatest growth potential and bring them to you from personalized medicine to cybersecurity to robotics, one of my favorites to quantum computing, and more in state of the art labs, startup garages and anywhere in between our crowd identifies innovators so that you can invest when growth potential is greatest, which is early. If you're an accredited investor, you can join our crowd for free at OURCROWD.com slash twist and review the current deals. There is no payment involved until you decide to invest. That's rcrowd.com slash twist to sign up for free. Okay, uh, we're bringing back an old segment called We Live in the Future. W-L-I-T-F. Not W-T-F, W-L-I-T-F. Uh, we Live in the Future. And so every week or two, we're going to talk about things that will hopefully blow your mind or things we've been talking about in science fiction that are becoming a reality and the one that's had me absolutely captivated for some time now is VTOL aircraft, uh, vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. And we just have an incredible video here to watch. This is from a company called Jetson One, and they make an electronic VTOL. And here we have 
uh, the Jetson one flying around. They released this video recently. And the pilot is the co-founder and CTO, uh, Tomash Patan. He stated the mission on their website, we intend to make everyone a pilot. And uh, here are some specs for their VTOL. It's 190 pounds. That is light. And it can support a pilot weight of up to 210 pounds. So I am safely under that since I lost 20 pounds this year. <laughs> it includes eight motors. And the company claims it can fly safely with the loss of one motor. And so that is one of the amazing things about VTOLs. When you think about a drone, if you're not watching this incredible science fiction that looks like something out of um, Blade Runner uh, and the spinners in Blade Runner, or uh, maybe a Star Wars film with speeder bikes. What's amazing uh, about VTOLs when compared to a helicopter, if you think about just the, the drones that your family might have flown on some holiday when somebody buys one, uses it, and then puts it away and never uses it again, <laughs> those things have you know, maybe eight rotors. And if one of them goes down, the software knows that that one's down, it stops spinning, and it just uh, recalibrates the other ones to automatically uh, save the drone and help it land properly, etc. So that's going to be one of the great things about VTOLs. They are going to be much safer, I believe, than helicopters. Helicopters have yeah, a, a lot of downside. They're very complicated to fly. They obviously don't have eight motors rotors i think most of them have redundant and have two the max speed of this uh vtol is 63 miles an hour current flight time 20 minutes so that's a very short flight time these are going to be toys for a while think of them like wave runners or you know those kind of devices um in terms of utilization they're not going to be for commutes right now this thing's 10 by 7 uh in terms of feet and uh it uses high discharge lithium ion batteries includes a three axis joystick and LIDAR sensors that will monitor the terrain and obstacles. Total price 92k, you can put down a deposit for 22k. I'm tempted to do that. Uh, although I wouldn't want to be part of the first group of people to own these. It'll arrive 50% assembled and it's up to the owner to assemble the other 50%. I wonder if that's because this is going to be some sort of a kit, or that's their business model. There'll be other versions of this. Obviously, we saw Joby go public. Regulations are going to have to be worked out for this to operate in the United States on something other than private land. Clearly, they're on a private course here. Are you going to need a pilot's license? Probably not. Uh, these things will probably be automated um, when they get out to the mass consumers. For this one, yeah, they're going to have to come up with some sort of, since you are controlling it, uh, pilot's license for it. And um, I wonder if it'll have to be a certain speed, you know, when you drive an e bike, I think the max speed of an e bike is 30 miles per hour or 25. For a motorcycle license, I think you can have up to 34 cc, don't quote me on that and like 35 40 miles an hour. And then above that, you have to uh, get a motorcycle license. So uh, a May 2020 article uh, in Aviation Airport Development Law.com claimed the regulation of VTOLs by the FAA uh, is severely lagging. And so this will come up. But if an individual builds at least 51% of an aircraft, they can register a plane in the FAA's experimental or amateur built category. And so that sounds to me like what's going on here is that the Jetson one might fall into that experimental or amateur built category. That to me is something that has never, ever been of interest. Like being a test pilot, I mean, that's how John Denver tragically died. I think he was operating like an experimental plane. 
my lord, that is a high level of danger is to do experimental planes or ones that you built yourself. Absolutely no interest in that. But I have a lot of interest in these VTOLs, because I think they could uh, be safer ultimately than driving in a city or driving on the highway. Driving on the highway, it's a lot of things to crash into. Driving in the air, there's not going to be a lot of things to crash into. And these can easily land themselves. If there's a problem, they can land on water very easily. They're not going to be 10, 20,000 feet in the air. They're going to be 1,000 feet. They're going to be flying over water. If there's a problem, they probably would be able to withstand it. And certainly, if there's a malfunction, they, they do have the ability to land gracefully, as you've probably seen with um, you know various tests of these things. Certainly, more gracefully than a helicopter or a plane spinning out of control. Now, the the battery technology is going to have to take a, a lot more time, but we saw that with Teslas. You know, the Roadster had, I think, a hundred ninety mile rating. Realistically, you got a, over a hundred, maybe a hundred and twenty. So we'll see these. Um, I think arrive faster than we thought. In fact, I think in some cities we'll see these as a commuting option before we're going to see self driving without a drive without a steering wheel. So let me say that again. It's completely possible that in a city like um, San Francisco, the Bay Area, or Sydney or Melbourne or uh, Rhode Island, anywhere that's on a bay, uh, New York City comes to mind as well with the Hudson and the East River. These are going to be great for flying over the water. Why? You're not going to have to worry about uh, buildings or landing on people. Whereas, um, you know, if this was flying over a city like Los Angeles, kind of not the ideal place. Like Los Angeles would be the worst place for this. You got these things flying everywhere. They start falling out of the sky. They land on people. God forbid somebody dies. You have people in the plane dying and people on the ground dying or people in the VTOL dying. So California is going to be the worst place for it. But a Bay Area with islands. Ooh, perfect, perfect for these. Uh, in fact, you could see these in New York City doing absolutely phenomenal. Just going to JFK, you just go right along the Hudson, going out to Coney Island, you know, flying into Manhattan. These things could wind up being everywhere. In fact, I think that one possibility we'll see is some of these tall buildings in Manhattan and and other cities will have you know a couple of floors where they'll fly into, and so these will be able to very easily navigate you know, some 30 foot landing platform in uh, a high rise. And then if you live in the high rise, you could go down to the whatever, you know, up or down to the 80th floor, let's say, get in one of these, it hovers, it flies out over the city, takes you to the airport, you come home from the airport, boom, it's going to be a brave new world, folks. And these are the real deal. In 2023, they're going to deliver 21 units, they, they claim. And that's pretty amazing. The 2023 deposit locations included Hawaii, San Francisco, Alabama, Florida, Finland, the Netherlands, Germany, and more. Joby Aviation, uh, J-O-B-Y, went public via SPAC, uh, and they've been trading under the uh, ticker symbol J-O-B-Y, currently valued at almost $6 billion, $5.7 billion. And they expect their commercial operations to start in 2024. Reed Hoffman helped take Joby public through his SPAC. I think that's what Mark Pincus, Reinvent Technology uh, Partners, and, and Reed spoke with me on... Uh, about Joby on Angel episode uh, six from season five, if you want to check that out. Now, there's a Chinese company called Ehang, E-H-A-N-G, and uh, they're building autonomous aerial vehicles, basically VTOLs that fly themselves. The videos are amazing. I've been watching these videos, and I'll throw one up on the screen here. If you don't watch on YouTube, youtube.com slash this weekend. They went public in December of 2019. They want to do automated flying taxis. 
but they were accused of fraud by Wolfpack Research in February of 2021. Wolfpack Research is an activist short seller. Uh, and they kept, I just love how they act, these activist short sellers name their companies. We have Wolfpack Research, you probably remember Hindenburg Research, I believe they did Nikola. And then there was Scorpion Capital recently. So Wolfpack, Scorpion, Hindenburg are on line one, you're in trouble. <laughs> Let me just say that. Uh, hello, sir. We have Wolfpack Research on line one, Scorpion Capital on line two, and uh, Hindenburg Research is in the lobby. <laughs> you're done. <laughs> They concluded, uh, Wolfpack, that is, that Ehang's largest customer was fake and also a pre-IPO investor looking to push up their share price. Again, in China, the rules are, uh, let's just say, very fluid. Uh, they reference filings and reports which showed that the sham company was established only nine days before it signed a $65 million contract with Ehang. Again, I have no idea of knowing if this accusation by Wolfpack is true. I'm just relaying it here. Um, after the report was released, Ehang stock dropped from $124 a share to $21 a share. And they're at about 25 now a share, which is a $1.4 billion market cap. So I am pretty excited about all of these. And I think that this is the real deal putting Ehang aside. The, the Ehang develop the, some of these Ehang videos though, I, 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 when I first saw them, I thought they looked fake. Like I thought they were CGI. And I still look at them and go, is this real or not? And it makes you wonder if they're like, uh, actually use computer uh, technology to, in some way, fake these uh, flights. But I, I don't think so. The videos do look real from Ehang. So that would be something I would want to know. Like if the business was absolutely corrupt, and they were doing the self dealing and making companies up. I wonder if the technology is real and the company is fake, and the business contracts are fake, but the tech's real. Because clearly other people are making this work and it is going to be awesome. So just a little we live in the future uh, segment for you. If you have an idea for a we live in the future segment, just email producers at thisweekinstartups.com. It's a long domain name, but it's worth it. You get all three producers on the line. Okay, let's go on to our interview. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. What's next? What if? Are we ready? Now what? These are the questions that can keep founders up at night. And no one understands this quite like Silicon Valley Bank. For over 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has helped thousands of high growth companies by providing scalable financial solutions, along with insights and expertise that many other banks just can't. From healthcare to hardware, software to infrastructure, SVB works with companies across the innovation landscape at all stages of the journey, anticipating their needs even before they do. And by providing access to insights and in-depth reports, SVB can help you make more informed decisions and assist in turning your great idea into a great business, which could be why 50% of US-based venture-backed tech and life science companies bank with SVB. Learn more at svb.com slash twist. Silicon Valley Bank, built for what's next. Okay, everybody, you may have seen a tweet I did a couple of weeks ago uh, at twitter.com slash Jason, where I talked about how people who I know who buy Oculus, especially people who are into video games like hardcore PC gamers, console gamers, they buy try and then say goodbye to their Oculus. Now this tweaked a bunch of people, including Palmer Lucky, who started liking the people who started dunking on me and telling me I'm wrong. And it created kind of a discussion. My point in all of this was my personal experience that Oculus is so complicated. And um, I don't like not being able to see the real world. I'm not a fan of VR exactly. But I did love Beat Saber. I will say that. 
and I am super impressed with the technology. But my tweet was intended strictly to look at this phenomenon of people buying them and putting them on the shelf. And it made me wonder out loud, it, where does VR sit in the gameplay or the options amongst people who play video games? And I thought casual gamers, people who play like iPad games like Bejeweled or some, you know, card game or chess, like it's not for them. And then hardcore gamers who are playing, you know, Fortnite, it's not for them. So who is it for? And the most considered response I got uh, was from a guy named Ryan Engel. And what he does is he makes a golf simulator uh, called Golf Plus. And it was such a compelling response that I thought he should just come on the pod and we should talk about it. So welcome to the program, Ryan Engel. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate the the discourse. And uh, I think I think you're coming from a smart spot. I mean, VR still has to establish itself. Right. So you've been working on making this VR golf simulator since 2018. Uh, you can go see it at pro putt if you would like to uh, visit the website. If you want to follow Ryan on the Twitter, always a good idea when we have a founder to go follow them on Twitter because you can continue the conversation with them yourself. It's uh, R-E-N-G-L-E-820. And I'm assuming 820 is an area code somewhere, like you're out of the yeah, 820? It's, uh, it, it's even better. It's my birthday. Oh, well, happy yeah. birthday in a while. August, on August yeah. 20th. Yeah. Uh, all right. So you saw my tweet. You slid in. You got a good reply in there. And you said you're seeing uh, a large number of people who are addicted and your metrics are different than what I was talking about. So what is true about what I said? And then what was wrong with what I said? Educate me. Okay. So I think, you know, I think your tweet was right in a lot of cases. I think a lot of people buy VR because they are looking to see what the future is like. And they put it on and, you know, maybe they're not gamers. Maybe they don't play many games. Maybe they only play certain types of games. And, you know, they try Beat Saber, they try a few things and they say, okay, that was interesting, but I'm kind of, you know, this isn't really for me. And what we found is that our numbers show that a, a strong portion of our players who do play and, and get past a certain point stick around and they keep playing. And in our case, we have a golf game. So our demographic is a little bit different than the average VR demographic that Oculus shares. Mm. Uh, we, we lean a little bit older, which is pretty mm. interesting. And, you know, we, we've got quite a few players that are over 60 that play huh. almost daily, uh, including my dad, who I bought the headset for. I asked him to try my game, you know, just because he's sure. my dad. He's never been a gamer and he doesn't even play golf anymore, but he used to. And uh, he plays every day because for him, it's just a great way to escape. And especially with COVID, it's like, you know, what else are you going to do? Um, so, yeah, I, I think where you're right is that if you go in saying blow my mind and like addict me and this is, you know, I've got my iPhone here and it's just going to captivate me and I'm never going to be able to live without it. You know, you're not, you're not going to get stuck. If you go in with an open mind and you try a bunch of experiences, I think if you try enough experiences, I bet there's one in there that is pretty captivating and got will it. keep you coming back. So do let me ask you a future looking question, because obviously this technology is getting better and better. The Oculus we had four or five years ago, I don't know if it was called the Rift or something, you had to plug Rift, it into yeah. a computer, you had cables, it sucked. And now you and it was expensive, you know, thousands of dollars for the PC, thousand dollars, fifteen hundred dollars for the Oculus. Now, uh, the new Oculus, you just don't even need to connect it to your phone anymore, correct? You just turn yeah. it on and you're done. No phone. Uh, I mean, it's 
completely standalone. I can bring it with me wherever. It's 300 bucks, and it comes with everything that you need, no computer necessary. Right. So that solved a lot of the uh, hardware setup and those problems and cost. So they lose, you think Facebook loses what, 100 bucks on that, 200 bucks on it? I, I, yeah, some, uh, well, it costs 300. So I, I think it's probably between 50 and 100. You know, Marcus said they're not making money on the hardware. He actually said they would lose money on it, I think. And the meta thing was that he would continue. And, and that one is called the Oculus Quest 2. Quest 2. For now. Yeah. And Quest 3 is going to come out, what do you think, next year after Christmas or something? What's the, what's the word on the street? The guess is that we're looking at an 18 month cycle. They uh -huh. announced uh, at their last conference when they changed their name uh, that they're working on one called Cambria, which is going to be a higher end, more expensive. They didn't say the price, but it sounds mm. like it, it is more targeted at professional users than just gamers. Got industry I think, people. I, I, I don't know. It's hard to say, but I, I would guess around the holidays, a year from now, we'll start to hear more about a Quest 3 or something like Got that. It. What do you think? in the hardware will be different with the next version is it just going to be speed is it going to be the lag because i still get a little motion sick on these things and i suffer from motion sickness when i'm on boats in the backseat of cars so i'm a little sensitive to it i know not everybody is i i will say that the quest 2 was the least motion sickness i had and i played beat saber for i don't know a solid maybe 20 minutes you know going on and off with another person so I really actually enjoyed Beat Saber and I didn't get nauseous. I did get uh, that experience when you take them off where you're like, whoa, real yeah. world. <laughs> but what, what will be, what, what, is there something that needs to be solved or is it just going to be something incremental in these next versions or the Cambrian is the new high uh, Cambria. One? Yeah, I think it's Cambria. called Cam Cambria. Uh, so I, I think there are a few major factors. We're, we are still so early in this, right? One is the most important one to me is resolution. Right now, if you put on the Quest 2 and you try to watch a movie that's like even 1080, you're going to see some pixelation. The quality is not as good as if you were watching your TV, right? As soon as the quality is effectively the same as watching like a 4K TV from, mm. you know, seven feet away, 70 inch 4K TV or something, then you get into an interesting scenario where this thing can be a home theater in your house, regardless of how big or small ah. your house is, right? So watching content in VR, I think is a big opportunity. Watching sports and live events where the resolution ah. is so good that you feel like you're watching it, you know, at a movie theater or something like that. The other big one is social. Hmm. So right now there's some different types of avatars. We have some in our game. Uh, they're varying quality. Some are very creepy. Some are very cartoony. That's kind of the two, the two sides you get. What they don't have right now is any sort of face tracking. So we're, we're talking on Zoom. I can see your reaction to that comment. You can see me. We can see our hands and everything like that. But, you know, eye contact is actually something that you don't get in Zoom that you could get in VR as soon as they can track your pupils. I think that's a really big deal and tracking kind of your expressions and stuff like that. So that allows you to have a much deeper connection with someone where you're not just looking at an avatar that's kind of well, got this blank stare. People would call nonverbal cues that allow you to know that maybe I want to chime in in this conversation, or that you're nodding in agreement to me. And people, I think, underestimate how necessary that is. So that those are things that we can expect. Now, when we look at the games, it does seem like we've had enough time to make good games like Beat Saber feels like a game, I would say from the 2000 to 2010 console era, in terms of how it looks and feels, it doesn't feel that old to me it's not like it looks like a nintendo game right it looks like 2010 maybe versus like playing fortnite on your computer yeah uh, 
I think it was even 2016, maybe or 2017. Yeah. But yeah, it's not not too old. It's not it's but I'm just saying in terms of the look and feel, right? So right. and then gameplay seems to be getting better. So is what's happening um, that uh, the games that are on casual iPad games, console games, hardcore games on PC are it's not competitive with those yet, or it's never going to be competitive with those. That's not what this is for. Those modalities work better. It's better to play a casual game like backgammon or chess or bejeweled on an iPad or iPhone, and it's better to play Fortnite on a computer with a full keyboard. This is going to be a different type of game, or is it eventually it will compete with those two other categories of gaming? For a while, I think it's going to be pretty different. Right. Okay. I think the whole point of VR is that it's very immersive. And instead of having, you know, instead of having a bunch of things kind of going on at the same time and multitasking, like you can do with mobile games, uh, in VR, you're, you're like locked into that one experience right now. Mm. And that's gives you a lot of opportunity. It, it forces you to keep the user very entertained while they're using it because they're not right. going to be distracted by other things. But, but it's just very different. I think the big difference between, you know, console games today and mobile games today is mostly the budget. Mm. Um, so even though the power, the power of the quest is, is somewhat limited, but it's pretty impressive, but hardly anyone has the budget to really push it because the size of the market just isn't there yet to justify spending $50 million on a game, you know, li like you get from the AAA games on console yeah. right now. So production value is really there. And then once VR transitions to be how you interact with your computer, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. So when I'm working on my computer, I look at my screen right now, but I could be wearing a very lightweight VR headset where comfort is another major factor, right? Lightweight headset. I see everything. I'm in VR all day while I'm working. And now I probably do have a little widget that is like uh, a solitaire. I, mm. I can still play solitaire in VR, but it's just a very different way of kind of interacting and engaging with your content. Okay, everybody, let's take a moment to talk about growth marketing and all the tactics and hacks that are out there. With me today, Jake Badsgard. He is the CEO and founder of Disruptive Advertising, which you can visit at disruptiveadvertising.com slash twist. So some questions for you, Jake, what are some of the tips you have for marketers who are planning to take advantage of Black Friday and Cyber Monday this year? Yeah, Jason, 2020 was a phenomenal year for Black Friday and Cyber Monday, and 2021 is shaping up to be as good, if not better. We actually have a benchmark report where we're, we're monitoring $250 million in media budgets. And we're seeing that CPMs are starting to rise in the 20 to 40% range in a lot of industries. And so I, I'm just worried that a lot of companies are going to get surprised that there's a lot of demand, but the competition is up as well. And if they don't have a good strategy for that, they're going to spend the same amount and get less performance, or they're going to have to spend a lot more to get the same performance. And so they've got to get on top of that. So if you want to sign up for a free digital marketing audit with Jake and his company, Disruptive Advertising, just visit disruptiveadvertising.com slash twist. And if you go into business with Disruptive, you will receive a $250 gift card and a free Friday to Sunday ski trip in Utah. Uh, we'll see you on the slopes. It's going to be a great season. So one thing I noted uh, when the conversation started with you on Twitter was golf is expensive. It's time consuming. It requires travel. It requires coordination. A lot of those things. So to get the golf experience, you need a tee time. You need a club membership. You need a, a set of golf clubs. You need three other people to play with. Here, 
you can get that same experience. And it is, uh, you know, a really cool experience. The same thing with maybe mountain climbing, rock climbing, skiing, I was starting scuba diving, I was thinking about things that are expensive pursuits that are hard to coordinate, uh, that are super immersive, you're only doing that one thing you're lost in it. So I just came up with snowboarding, scuba, mountain climbing and golf could be hang gliding, I guess would be another one. So is what we're kind of discovering is that maybe these big experiences that are hard to, you know, uh, coordinate in the real world are so easy to coordinate that the weight of the glasses, you know, and some of these other limitations uh, maybe go away because by comparison, putting on for your dad to put the goggles on is one one thousandth of finding three other players in a tea time. Is that what's happening? Uh, that's that's certainly the bet that that we're making on the golf front. I mean, it, just at a high level, our goal is not to replace you know real world golf. Uh, my co-founder and I are big golfers. We've been playing since we were kids. So our goal is really to help introduce people to golf in a way that kind of gets them addicted and gets them to love the sport so that they are willing to go through the friction of playing a real round of golf, which is significantly higher than, than doing it in VR. Um, so I, I think that's really important. I think there are some other great examples that translate extremely well to VR and then some that are much more challenging, like table tennis, uh, 11 table tennis is another game. They've done an incredible job on the physics and matchmaking. So it's just trivial to put on your headset, you know, pick up your controller and play ping pong table tennis mm. with another person that's at your same skill level without leaving your house. And a lot of people are, you know, losing significant weight, just doing sort of the exercise side of it. I do think something like snowboarding is, is, uh, is going to be something that gets solved, but it's more challenging because a big part of snowboarding is is balancing right mm. and sort of working the edges and you know catching it's the air lower if you're body really versus good. your upper body yes Whereas exactly and baseball and table tennis is all upper body and very little lower body right and and your feet are stationary or relatively Station. stationary relatively even something stationary. like like tennis you know you have to run pretty far across the court to get some mm. of the shots so emulating that in vr will be a bit of a challenge because of locomotion but anything that doesn't require a lot of locomotion i think can translate really well even today what is your app cost Twenty dollars, twenty bucks, and then Beat Saber is like fifty or something. It's like, it's like thirty, but they have a lot oh. of uh, packs, right? So they Got sell it. song packs, and you know, I think a lot of their players spend hundreds of dollars. What is the right pricing for this? Is is one of the issues that casual gaming on an iPad is two or three bucks? We have free gaming with you know buying packs, and then when you open up your Oculus, I, I was kind of like, this is so fucking confusing. And where's the App Store? <laughs> I mean, it's it. Literally, you know, the first 20 minutes of using an Oculus is just torture. And then finally, you get into a game, you get excitement. It, how bad is that onboarding experience for people at this point? And, and when does that get fixed? Because this really feels like a product that's been created in a Frankenstein mode. Whereas like, I think Apple, if they made this product, you turn it on, you'd see a suite of apps, you'd click Beat Saber, you would click your golf game, and you'd be playing instantly. Yep. But this thing makes you log in, create an account, find the app store. There's 20 choices. They're promoting bullshit everywhere. I mean, it is on a scale of one to 10. What would you rate the onboarding experience for Oculus? I know they're a partner, so I don't know how objective you yeah, can be. Yeah, no, yeah. We're, I mean, only because we're distributing our app through them. But um, I do think the a very initial kind of experience where they just walk you through the basic controls is pretty cool and like okay. kind of a good way to get you in. But then in terms of actually interacting with the menus, uh, so yeah, if one's the worst, I don't know, it's probably like a four and that Got might it. be being generous. 
compared to Apple, which is like, you know, eight or nine. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot of room for improvement. John Carmack, you know, the former CTO, uh, he even says like, if you start a stopwatch and you're a pro user and you put on your headset from the moment you put it on to when you're playing a game, it's still going to be like 30 seconds maybe. And that's yeah. like a ton of time. Imagine if it took 30 seconds to check your email on your phone. Uh. That would be ridiculous. I mean, it used to. Like, we used to dial up, and you know, and it was something that was obscure. So that's that's an easy fix, right? Uh, so let me ask you a question about golf specifically. Do you find that people who play VR golf get better at real world golf? And is that part of your mission? Is hey, start here, and we'll make you better at it, or is it hey, we're just going to give you the golf experience here? We're not trying to make you better at real world golf. So we started with that goal in mind. We mm. started with training as kind of our core business principle, not gaming. And what we realized pretty quickly is that we had no data to prove this. So mm. we figured the best way to get data is to make something fun so that we have a lot of usage and then we can kind of back into training. So we have not focused on training, but anecdotally, some a lot of our players do say, this is really helping with my putting because now I have a better process for reading the break and seeing the line. Um, we recently partnered with the PGA and their core business is actually around helping people get into the game of golf. And they have, I think 30,000 instructors nationwide, uh, that teach people how to play golf. So as we move forward and as the market starts to shift outside of primarily gaming, uh, we would really like to solve the training side of it. And golf wow. training is very expensive. And it's very hands-on, right? And I think with a combination of kind of AI and us able to track a lot of data about your swing in 3D, um, we're going to be able to solve this in a way that doesn't require as much attention from an individual person. I mean, the AI could be telling you what to change in your swing. And then also there were like some of these um, educational um, services that were doing sort of a global arbitrage and, uh, you know, a Chinese, t an, an English teacher teaching a Chinese student, vice versa, a French teacher teaching, uh, you know, uh, French to an American who wanted to learn how to speak French, and then they were charging 20 bucks an hour where a tutor might be 100. You might have people in the Philippines or Japan who would love to make $25 an hour giving people tips on how to play golf in VR. And it might just be a side hustle. And, you know, the $200 lesson goes away. Um, totally curious about actual real golf courses in the game do you have real courses in there because i do know some of my friends who golf will study the holes and you know do a little pre-gaming of golf that seems to me to be a huge opportunity people could play pebble beach before going to pebble beach and that was a hard tea time and i don't know what it costs to play pebble beach it's 500 bucks yeah. 500 bucks uh yeah. that's actually not so bad but it's actually yeah it's one of the more reasonable ones <laughs> Uh, but even still, that's 500 per person. Right. So it's $2,000 for your four friends to go. If you could actually play it for a month before you went and you could be like, hey, hole six is coming. We got to get over this water thing. That could be amazing. So do, would you have to license those maps from those people? Do they own their maps? Is it public? How, how would that work? And are you pursuing that? We are. that's marketing for them too. 100%. So yeah. we were releasing our full course update on November 18th. That's, you know, coming out in two weeks. Um, and we have our first real course in the game for that release, which is Wolf Creek, which is an hour north of uh, Las Vegas in Mesquite, Nevada, it's somewhat remote. 
and uh, we talked to them. We licensed them. So yeah, that's the course right there, Wolf Creek. And Beautiful. we licensed, um, you basically licensed the brand and then you're responsible for, for getting the data, for getting the ah. topology because the course itself doesn't have the most accurate topology for their own course because they don't really need it in a 3D format. Mm. So thankfully, because of our partnership with Topgolf, they have uh, a lot of data that we can use, and then we take that data and then prepare it for for VR. So yeah, you can see this is my co-founder here that's you know playing wow. the course. The greens are accurate, the contours are accurate. Obviously, the graphics are the best we can do with the hardware that we have, but that'll improve over time. And you're 100% right about the Pebble Beach example. I mean, before you go on your dream golf vacation, why not play the course 10 times in VR over the period of a week? And get to know every nook and cranny and be prepared to, you know, to play the course for real for the first time. So we think that that is, that is something that players are going to get into. And even if you're not into playing the game itself, just to check out the course and see what some of these courses look like close up. Cause on TV, you don't really get a good sense of what the contours are actually like and what the 3D layout is like. Do you think Apple will come out with a VR headset or do you think they're just going to go straight to AR? Because everything Tim Cook says is like, you know, tipping towards AR. And if they had VR, kind of think they would have put it out by now. So yeah, what, I think what's it's, your gamesmanship there? I think it's, uh, you know, I think AR and VR are two, two sides of the same coin. And, uh, you know, technically the Quest has AR in it, right? You have that pass-through mode where you can kind of lay out your Guardian and see through. Mm -hmm. That's AR. Uh, and I think Explain what we're going to- Explain what that is for people who don't know the Guardian concept and- you know, Okay. Yeah. So, so the quest has uh, cameras on it, right? So that it can see the real world and that's how it knows your position. And that's how it does its tracking right. on the and outside cameras on the outside, looking exactly. at the world on your behalf. Yeah. Camera. Yeah, exactly. Cameras on the outside, looking at the world. They're, they're black and white cameras. They're actually, I think infrared cameras. And, um, you can use that to see through the device. So you mm -hmm. get a view of what is going on outside I me. Mean, yeah. You can see your hands and everything. They're just opening up APIs so that developers can use that to build experiences. And when you first put it on, you use the controller to basically outline your guardian, which says, this is my safe space. It's not mm -hmm. going to include a chair or a couch or something that I might smash my hand into. And as my controller gets closer to the guardian, it's going to show up in VR so that I mm -hmm. know that, I don't want to go past this point. Um, so I think Apple's going to come up with the device, come out with a device that is primarily VR focused, but it has cameras like the Quest that are much higher resolution, mm. so that you can see through, and you could see your hands, you can see other people, but you know the other people aren't they're they're not going to see your eyes. Most likely is my guess. Mm. It'll be like the Quest, but a better form factor where. They see, you know, your face is still effectively covered by the device versus something like magic. See, that would be cool because then you could go to your backyard with your headsets on. You could actually hold a real golf club. Right. Uh, or instead of using the Oculus controllers there, they could snap onto a real golf club. Right. And you could be out there on your back deck swinging and see your actual friend. But instead of seeing the real world, it would then display Pebble Beach on, you know, your deck in Brooklyn of, <laughs> in your backyard or something. That's what's coming, isn't it? 100%. That's, that's where we see it going is letting you swing your actual club and hitting an actual golf ball oh, really? know, into a net and then transmitting oh. that data into VR and running the physics simulation, um, which is 100% possible. Which is what those golf possible. simulators do. I, I was saying exactly. at a rented Airbnb that was like some rich guy's thing and it had a 
golf simulator in it. And like part of renting the Airbnb was this hundred thousand. Those golf simulators cost a hundred grand or something. The, the uh, really good ones do. They come down to five grand, but oh, you really? know, you kind of get what you pay for. Got it. And in that one, it was like a box in this room next to a bowling alley. This guy had a trick oh, down man. in his house, That's and kidding. it was like you could just hit the ball, and it it had a big projection screen. It was interesting. I mean, not for me, but. It, so that's going to be available to everybody in VR slash AR. What so, do you yeah. call that VR with the cameras on the outside? That is more like an AR experience. That's called a pass through. Mm. So it's a brand. Yeah. Yeah. Pass through basically means you're still looking at a screen uh, inside, right? You're still looking at a screen, but it's displaying what's outside of the device. It's displaying mm -hmm. through the cameras. Versus something like Magic Leap, where you're actually looking through lenses, so you're seeing, you know, it's the mm. same as looking through sunglasses. Pass through is looking at a screen, and then the, uh, you know, the other option is is just looking through glass lenses. There are pros and cons to each. Uh, my bet is that pass through is where we'll see the the majority of devices coming out in terms of being AR, AR and VR capable. Are you a subscription-based app or do you just sell the app one time and then try to get people to buy packs? Right now, it's just one time, 20 bucks. We are oh. going to, the, the Wolf Creek thing is going to be our first, uh, our first pack. So our first golf course. And where we see this going eventually is, you know, I'm not sure how into, you know, NFTs and, and crypto and, and that type of thing. But we really see a lot of the things happening in VR turning into components of this sort of greater metaverse, right? Mm. Where the metaverse, in my mind, is, is like the web. It's, it's not quite like the internet because the internet kind of powers everything, right? And the internet doesn't actually need a display, but the web is how you interface with the internet in yeah. a lot of cases. And I think the metaverse is going to work like that. It's interfacing with, you know, the internet or whatever um, through a virtual interface. And we think the big opportunity is effectively building out the golf side of that, right? If you Got look it. at the real world, nobody owns the sport of golf. It's mm. a sport. And there are a lot of companies that make money off of the sport by, by contributing to it in different ways. Golf clubs, golf courses, all that. So we want to, we kind of want to set it up to effectively give our players the ability to sell their own packs, to create their own golf wow. clubs, to create their own golf courses. And, you know, s structure it in a way where we get some small fee for doing that. Wow. But So you could actually make the game free and then it comes with one course and you get a ton of users. And then you say to your users, listen, create holes and people can buy holes. They can buy packs. Uh, they can buy challenges. They can buy clubs. And we just get 10%. And if you buy this course, you get an NFT version of it. In other words, you get to put it in your wallet and then you could take that. You could take your golf clubs and you could take your course and go put it in your world on the other side of the metaverse somewhere. It's kind 100%. of a more compelling process. When you look at a company like Facebook and they built, they were, they basically took the open web and closed it. Now they're saying they're going to do this open. It, there doesn't seem to be an open standard for VR. So as a developer, you're making for the Oculus, you're already locked into Oculus. When Apple's comes out or if, you know, Microsoft and Google have a product that kind of you have Halo Lens, ha, uh, Halo Halo Lens, Halo Lens, yeah, Halo Lens yeah. rather. Um, I think Halo is a cooler name. Halo Lens. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you wanted to be on Halo Lens or you know Apple's new glasses, you're gonna have to rewrite this whole code base. It's gonna be ported, or how much can you port, and how hard is that gonna be? Yeah, thankfully it's very easy. Almost every single experience that 
you know, you have in VR right now is either built with Unity or Unreal, mm-hmm. which are two game engines, sure. both very, very, uh, very well done. And uh, ours is Unity. So as soon as Apple comes out or any other headset comes out, you know, there are relatively few APIs that we're using that are Oculus specific. And even right. on top of that, they have uh, something called OpenXR, which is effectively creating this bridge layer that will end up connecting with all the major headsets. Um, so it is actually being set up in a way that is way better than any other platform that I've seen, even from the onset. Um, right now it's just, a, you know, basically hundred percent controlled by Oculus because that, that's the only headset. That's is there selling. a number two headset? It would probably be the HTC Vive oh, right. or the Valve in- Index, but the- n- Are those people still investing in them? And PlayStation had one at some point, right? Yeah, actually the PSVR might- be the be the second by the numbers but it hasn't really done much in the last few years uh playstation you know sony's apparently coming out with a psvr2 next year that's that's the Uh. expectation apple's coming out with something hdc just put out a new headset but it's not really gaming focused it's Mm. a little bit unclear what they're trying to do with that um and then valve is you know tbd i think a lot of folks in the space are hoping that they they keep going with it Mm. uh yeah it's hard to imagine Apple is not a major player here. Where did Google wind up in all of this? They were Google dropped the ball. They, I mean, they they sort of took off. They created this cardboard thing, yeah. which was like, hey, look, VR can be super cheap and you know super low quality. And then they basically were like, okay, we don't know what we're doing, so we're just going to hold back and wait to see who figures it out. Which you know, to be f- interestingly, it seems like a lot of Google's successes are, are kind of in that mm-hmm. vein where they sort of do wait a little bit to see who figures it out. And then they go create a better, more mass market version. I think that's where Google's really good. Is there an open source hardware program? All of these companies we mentioned focused on doing open source hardware for their uh, server farms, right? Because they wanted to drive costs to the lowest possible. Well, Zuckerberg is talking about driving Oculus to the lowest cost possible, but it's pretty clear he wants to own the full stack. He wants to own the app store, he wants to own identity, and he wants to own the headset, just like Bezos insisted on owning the Kindle and the uh, store where you bought the books and the connectivity between the two. Um, Is there an open source movement to make an open source VR headset that is cheap and anybody could make it and the spec is out there? So, you know, if Anchor or, you know, pick some commodity hardware provider wants to just make their version. Uh, they could piece it together. I'm pretty confident there is. I don't know what it is, and I have very low hopes for it because, Mm -hmm. you know, Facebook is pouring $10 billion into this this year and more next year and more the year after that, most likely. Um, And a lot of it is research and development. It's not, you know, they're figuring out how the lenses should even work or what software to write to optimize, you know, rendering performance. There's so much low level stuff that it's like, we're just not at the point where I think somebody. I wonder what of that 10 billion is going towards the hardware and the operating system of the headset versus other. That's a good question. I, I assume a lot of it is hardware related because that just seems to be a very expensive problem to solve. Um, mm. But yeah, I don't know. I, it would be interesting if they publish those numbers. Yeah, I mean, you got to think Apple, which spends tens of billions on research every year, is is matching them and doing something equally spectacular. Kind of interesting. I don't know if you follow the sort of war going on between Facebook and iPhones and Apple on Apple saying, hey, we're just not going to let you track users. 
Right. And now you, but they know that the next big compute platform is going to be VR, AR in all likelihood. And now Zuckerberg's like, you know what? You want to screw up our advertising business? We're going to do hardware. <laughs> and we're going to pour 10 billion into it. So I'll see you on the court for that. It's, it's turning into quite a showdown, isn't it? It is. And I, uh, yeah, I'm anxious to see what Apple comes out with because I've, I've had an iPhone since they first came out. My career before this was basically in mobile from like mm. 2008, right when the store came out. So I've been a big fan of Apple from, you know, for, forever. And they make a lot of money on hardware, which is not the plan for Facebook. So, you know, Facebook's kind of taking on more of this Android mentality, which is, we, you know, interesting to see kind of the Android side of it come out before the iPhone side of it, since it worked in reverse on mobile. Um, but I think Apple's going to try to make money on the hardware. And, uh, you know, Apple's also not really known for pioneering open platforms either. No. Quite the opposite, right? They're super closed, but they do an incredible good job at it and they keep it yeah. all private and they make it happen. So nothing would be better for you than a, you know, a three or four way race to get users up to speed here, maybe consolidating down to two, maybe a five horse race, which is what it is now. Apple, PlayStation, Microsoft, Facebook. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Sony, HTC, Facebook, Apple's getting into it. And then you Microsoft know, will be a player for sure, right? Microsoft, yeah, I think so. Microsoft is, the Xbox side of Microsoft has basically said we're not messing with VR for mm -hmm. a while, which is interesting. Um, so, interesting. you know, there's they seem to be more focused on the enterprise side of it with HoloLens. I think they need to be involved in this. And if you look at how well they did with uh, Xbox, and you see Zuckerberg's presentation uh, from Meta was essentially, he just cut and pasted the Halo, the <laughs> HoloLens presentation. It was like, here's our version of HoloLens. Here's your desktop. Here's a bunch of things floating around, move stuff around. And oh, you can still see your desk and your actual real pen and paper if you want to. You know, it, it looked like he has a vision for that. And he always has had a thing about trying to get Facebook slash Meta into the enterprise. Like they did an enterprise version of Slack. So he he still has that itch I think he wants to scratch. And he said they would make it a separate login. It wouldn't be your personal login anymore. So yeah. that's kind of, he did mention that, which was like a, he's kind of like shooting a cannonball over the deck of HoloLens. And he's saying to Apple, we're coming for you too. It's going to be quite a showdown uh, in both yeah, cases. I think so. I'm, I, I think what's interesting about, you know, the Quest right now is it's very clearly a gaming device and every, mm -hmm. every headset that's come out other than like, uh, you know, some smaller ones uh, have been gaming focused, whereas Apple is unlikely to produce a gaming focused device. So I'm really curious to see mm -hmm. what they show us because they've always been more focused on kind of general consumers uh, than enterprise or gaming. Mm -hmm. Um and if they can turn VR into something that general consumers get excited about, that's where I see the biggest opportunity. It, it's it, gaming is not the biggest opportunity for VR. It's just the one that makes sense right now. In the same way that you know, Atari. What do you think it is? It's experiences and education are going to be the big winners. No, I think eventually? it's everyday use. Like, what do you use your computer for today? You know, you oh, check really? email. You think you it's like Twitter. turn it on and do email in a headset? A hundred percent. I mean, you could just stay in your bed, throw your headset on, and now you're teleported to this beautiful beach where you're checking your email, doing all that other stuff, and oh. then you know, going taking a break, watching a movie on a huge screen. And yeah, I mean, there. You know, so you're you full ready player one in your belief of where this is going. Oh yeah, See, there's I no find doubt. that completely dystopian. Like wearing the headset for more than an hour a day. What's the longest you've worn the headset for? Honestly, it probably is like two hours, like a couple of rounds yeah. of golf. And then 
you know, and then I take it off. So I'm yeah. not in there all day, but once it gets comfortable enough, like what's the difference between staring at your screen? You can still see what's outside, right? Like with these right, pass through sure. cameras or whatever. So I, I think it's a pretty natural progression. I mean, obviously, when will a time headset exist world? that somebody could wear for six, seven, eight hours? You know, full work day. I mean, I, I think that's probably half day. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I think that's probably what Apple is working on. And frankly, the Cambria thing that Facebook showed. I think within the next like three years, we'll have something mm. that's light enough weight. That's like basically equivalent to wearing, you know, you know, ski goggles, goggles or glasses. Got it. So, so somewhere between that, those two. That far yeah, ski away. goggles are not uncomfortable for six hours. You may have to take them off and adjust now and again. Right. Pressure on your face. But and then the ability to turn on like and literally just put what would be the equivalent of, you know, the Bose headset. Uh, I know if you've seen the Bose spectacle like glasses. glasses yeah yeah, yeah like you know chunky sunglasses right when does that hit realistically objectively when will we be wearing those if three if three years from now we have a six eight hour headset that's light enough and comfortable enough for six seven eight hours when do the glasses show up that can do the same thing so facebook released their ray-ban glasses yeah <clears throat> they can kind of do that and uh, they can take pictures and they can you can listen to music but you can't throw stuff up on the screen right right so I, I think that's probably closer to the five to 10 years. Got it. If I had right. to guess, if I had to guess, yeah. yeah. But I was going to say, I was going to say seven to 10 yeah. before we can do that. Maybe, and that maybe works 20, by projecting into your eye or projecting onto the glass. That's you TBD, know? right? So that, right. that depends. Is it pass through or is it something like Magic Leap? I don't know if you ever tried Magic Leap, but they- have. What's it like? So you can see through it perfect, like, like sunglasses. Uh, and then they have, you know, a relatively small area in the middle <clears throat> where you can see 3D content. Mm. Um, and it's, it's kind of semi-transparent, so it's mm. not perfectly opaque, right? You can right. still kind of see your hand through it or whatever. I think that needs to change. Otherwise it just limits what you can do with it. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, I, that's, that's a big open question is like, what ends up being the final magically ever going to like hit the streets and like, when will that happen? If it does, they I said that magically two is, uh, was announced and is coming out relatively soon. I'm still not a hundred percent sure who they're targeting. It seems like they switched over to more enterprise. So, uh, you know, they got another $500 million investment. So obviously there are people that believe in them. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, I think, I kind of think it looks yeah. cool. Uh, it looks very it looks cyberpunk really cool. to me. I like yeah. it. Yeah. I think I like their form the factor is great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it feels like you're either an X-Men and, uh, you're like Cyclops or something like it's, it's, or you're like in the matrix or blade runner or something. It's I think cool. a lot of them are going to move in that direction. I think there's like a side benefit of having these glasses that cover a good portion of your face in that you can't do face tracking as easily. So the whole ah. privacy side of things, plus like, you know, being in this kind of safety bubble, plus the fact that it's probably recording everything that you're seeing, you know, could have some interesting effects, uh, on society. You know, on, it's yeah, like in, literally. In in the William Gibson books, there was a concept of God's little machine, which was a Zeppelin. Mm. Like imagine a little Zeppelin, like the size of like, I don't know, a half a loaf of bread or something. And it would float above you with a camera and like create a 3D model of the world. And it would record your entire life, every conversation, everything. So everybody was walking around with these little Zeppelins above their heads, like little blimps, recording everything. And then in your glasses, you could play back any moment of your life. Wow. So that's, that's that, essentially what this is going to build is like possible instead of me doing a podcast, you could just have me walking around with this like goggles on or Joe Rogan. You could just be live casting his entire life. Like the Truman show. Yep. And you play it back. What's the craziest like kind of application you had there? Cause I'm thinking about like 
if there was a war, like imagine if World War Two occurred, like, and everybody was wearing these, you would have like the entire war would be documented, first person perspective, or right. I don't know if, if right. you were well, if um, you're even if you're fighting, Alex Honnold and you're scaling El Capitan or whatever right. he did free soloing, we could be wearing the glasses while he's free soloing. I think I that's even exactly that movie. it. I know, right? It's nerve wracking. Like, thankfully, you know what happened before it came out, but. I think that's exactly it. I think live sports and live events is where this thing goes from, oh, that's kind of cool. I tried it. It wasn't for me mm. to there's no way that you're going to watch a football game or a golf game when you're not in this experience because your wow. experience is so much more real and you're still mm. able to share it with your friends because they're virtually standing right next to you, even though they might be in New York versus you in San Francisco or whatever. That's where I think things get really interesting. You know, Travis Scott does a concert that is this XR concert where like everyone's got a front stage pass or you buy an NFT and that determines where your location is at the concert. Mm. Um, and, you know, these virtual experiences end up being like these like $10 million show with like crazy lights and custom graphics mm. and all of this stuff. So I think that's the crazy thing. I think live sporting is what makes this go go bananas. We should, they should definitely do an exhibition game uh, where you have like a two on two basketball game. They agree to not foul hard. And we could literally, you could be Steph Curry and LeBron James, That'd Carmelo Anthony, cool. whatever. And they're wearing the glasses. So you get to have their first hand experience of like dunking the ball or shooting. That's crazy when awesome. you think about it. I mean, th those are the experiences that are going to be just absolutely wild. 100%. Um, yeah, I'm not the tallest guy. So being as, as big as LeBron would be like pretty crazy experience for me. Yeah, I, I, I think the Alex Honnold, the Honnold one is the will be like the most amazing one to like free solo. Yeah, or actually those giant those big wave surfers out in Spain. Yeah, who are doing those 50 foot waves. Can you imagine they wore one of these headsets? And like, you get to experience being towed into a that 50 foot cool. wave. I yeah. mean, I have a hard time watching them on those 50 foot waves. You know, <laughs> yeah. like anything being can happen. On it would, you'd have a heart attack. And but you listen, know, the, the beauty of that is it, it still puts a lot of the effort into the person doing the real life experience, right? Which sure. I think is really critical. And for our business, that's what we care about. We're not trying mm -hmm. to kill golf or place golf. We want more oh. people to enjoy golf. We just want to make sure that your first experience at Pebble when you paid, you know, 5,000 bucks for this trip isn't sure. bad because you didn't have a chance to experience the course ahead of time. I so. I think yeah. it's going to be amazing when something like brain surgery uh, or any surgeries, like any 12 year old kid can buy a surgery pack, turn on, or maybe it's open source and free education, like MIT open courseware or whatever. Yeah. Imagine like some kid in uh, the emerging world, uh, FKA third world, but we call it the emerging world right now, like to not rank these things, but in the emerging world, you know, maybe they don't have surgery, uh, enough surgeons and some 12 year old, 14 year old is like learning how to do some emergency surgery in HR in VR, AR, whatever XR, and they figure it out and they do it a 100 times. And somebody needs to get their appendix taken out. And they actually are qualified to do it, right? Like that could be, you know, pretty extraordinary. When you 100%. I mean, what yeah. are the odds that the best surgeon in the world is actually the best surgeon if if everyone had an opportunity to kind of go through the same process, Zero. you know, exactly. So and that, that should change, right? So I, I think this is a great equalizer. And it does give people anywhere the opportunity to strap this on and take on experiences that you know, they otherwise it would be prohibitive for them to do. So uh, I hope that's the direction it goes in. Feels like it's going that direction. Ryan, great having you on the pod.
Uh, and uh, great things happen when interesting conversations occur on uh, Twitter, and then we make them uh, double click on them and expand them here on the podcast. You're in Austin, I got to ask you, uh, I have very strong feelings, but uh, best beef rib, best brisket, let's just go with those two, since those are the two best things you can get in barbecue. Uh, don't at me with your pork ribs or shoulder. I agree. I love pork, but we're going brisket beef rib. What do you got for yes. your brisket? So, I mean, if I, if I could only pick one place to go to for barbecue, it'd be Franklin's. I, I know okay. that's kind of the generic answer, classic. but no, yeah, people classic. built it up and it delivered that. So other yeah. than that, you know, Terry Black's is, is a close second and way more convenient. So yes. best sort of bang for the time, buck, whatever. Sure. Uh, yeah. I'm Black, going Terry, Terry Black on the beef rib. Okay. I'm going to go the barbecue on the brisket. On the bris Have you done Franklin's? I've done Franklin's not for a while. Okay, uh, okay. But I mean, I'm, listen, Franklin's brisket is legit. I'm sure on par with the barbecue. I like going to the barbecue at like, I think they open at 10 30, 11. So here's my like super tip. If you're going to get brisket, you just skip breakfast, you do a hike or something in the morning. So that's what my guy Brian Alvin and I would do when we go. We go for a two or three mile walk. And uh, then we go show up at the barbecue, it's opening up, there's no line, there's like four people there. And you get the first cuts of that fatty side of the brisket, uh, get a beef rib, but you're right, going to Terry Black's, they seem to move that line pretty quick and uh, they yeah. don't run out. And that beef rib, oof, I mean, expensive, like you're going to spend 20, 30 bucks on a beef rib, but well it's worth giant. It. I mean, well worth it. So it. worth it. Exactly. So worth and then just make sure you don't have any plans for the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, basically, you're those are like the one meal days you're gonna yeah. go one meal you're gonna go one meal you skip the breakfast you get a big lunch you put a hike in there you go around lady bird is it lady bird lake it's, lady bird uh, lake you got it yep you guys do a little Zilka lady Park bird right lake. there some disc golf. Quick loop yeah all right listen brother i'll see you when i'm in uh, austin thanks for coming on the pod and thanks for replying to my tweet we'll see you all next time on this week at startups bye bye